A vision pursues a preferred future. You've heard that if you've been here the last two weeks. The idea that, that a vision sees and pursues a future that is preferred over wherever we are. We've been talking about our vision here at Clarksburg Baptist Church the last few weeks. Our vision is move beyond. And it's the idea that in our walk with Christ as believers, there is always something in our walk of faith that we can move beyond. That there are areas in our lives where we want to move beyond the sin that's there. There are areas in our lives where we, as we talked about the first week, where we want to move beyond just believing to action. Uh, as we talked about last week, we want to move beyond just kind of a surface knowledge of Christ to a deeper understanding of Christ. And we're going to be looking at that, not just this month, but in the, in the months to come. And really, this idea of moving beyond is going to permeate all that we do here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. The first week, it was exciting when we talked about moving beyond faith and, and into action. And it was really, really enjoyable last week to hear people share what happened with them. You know, there were, there were things that, that happened in big ways, but there were things that happened in small ways too. And, and that's one of the things I really want to emphasize is when we talk about moving beyond, I want you to move beyond wherever you are. Uh, it's not like you're a brand new Christian and I want you to move beyond and next week you're going to go sign up to be a missionary in China. That's not what we're talking about. Wherever you are in your faith, we want to always challenge you to take those steps. Begin where you are and to move beyond. And some of you did some wonderful things in the kingdom to show your beliefs by your actions. And then we challenged you to be a part of a life group. And a lot of folks uh, signed up this week to be a part of a life group. The ones that either meet on Sunday or on Sunday night or the meet during the week on Wednesday and at other times. And, and that was encouraging to see you do that as well. Today we're going to be looking at another area in our life where I really think that we need to move beyond. And uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles or it'll be on our screen. In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus is talking about certain Jews who love to pray in the synagogues. And when you pray in the synagogues, it was a public prayer and everybody got to see you. But that wasn't good enough. When they were out in, in the public, in public squares and in other places, they would pray in very conspicuous areas where they knew people would see them praying. And their desire was that people would see them and say, oh, look how religious they are. They're, they're just such great prayers and, and they're just such righteous people. That, that was what they wanted people to think. They wanted them to to see them and to think good things about them. And Jesus says, well, guess what? That's, that's, they got what they wanted. That's their reward. Their reward is just the praise of other people, which in the big picture of the kingdom of God is worthless because we're not after the praise of men. We're after the praise of God. And so Jesus says, well, they can't expect any reward from God, but they've got the reward that they're looking for, that worthless praise of other people. But Jesus says to them and, and to us, he said, when you pray, basically go to your room and close the door. Go to your room and close the door. Pray privately with your father. Have an intimate conversation, a sincere conversation, 
a genuine conversation with your father. The reason that he says, look, go into your room and close the door. The reason he says that is because when you're in private with God, when it's just you and God, there's no room for phoniness. You're not out to prove anything to anybody else. It's just you and God. And God sees you. God sees your heart. God knows your thoughts. God knows your motives. You can't be phony when it's just you and God. And that's why he says, don't do it to be seen, but go in a private place where it's just you and God and pray sincerely to him. Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. Jesus continues and he says, and when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus says, look, it's not about how many words you use. It's not about how long your your prayers are. Remember this story about a pastor that had called on one of his deacons to pray in a a worship service and the deacon got up to pray and he prayed 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 and And finally the pastor got up while he was still praying and he says well while brother jones finishes his prayer let's all turn to hymn number 463 and sing together see that's god is not impressed with just long wordy prayers What God wants is for you to have a genuine and sincere outpouring of yourself with him. A sincere conversation. It's not about words. It's not about how many words you can use. He says, Jesus here calls it babbling. God is not interested in the words or the amount of words as he is the sincerity of your heart. And there's something interesting here. He says, look... Why waste all these words? Because God knows what you need before you ask. So so don't spend all this time talking. Listen, God knows what you need. He may be waiting for you to stop talking so he can give you an answer. And I like what Warren Wearsby says. Warren Wearsby says that the primary purpose of prayer is not to inform the one who knows all things, but to enter into his presence. In, in Judaism, there was the belief that God the Father took delight in doing good things for his people and in meeting their needs. And also in Judaism, there was the belief that God knew all the people's thoughts. So what Jesus is saying here to us is that the idea, this whole idea of prayer, is about your relationship with God. Not what you do for show and not what other people see. Not how eloquent you can speak. But basically, it's about your close and intimate relationship with God. So where do we move today? What do we move beyond? That's pretty simple. We want to move beyond meaningless words to prayers that are powerful and effective. Jesus follows these passages that we just read with what we call the Lord's Prayer. And, and he gave it to them as a model prayer. I know we recite it, and I know we pray it as if it was a prayer, but Jesus actually gave it to his disciples as a model to follow, not as a, necessarily a prayer just to, to recite. But it's important for us. He gives us a model because we tend to just babble on if we're not careful. James P. Wilburn 
was the pastor of Clarksburg Baptist Church. Actually, James P. Wilburn became the pastor of Clarksburg Baptist Church in December of 1947, and he was 39 years old. Uh, he was the pastor of this church uh, until April of 1956 uh, when he passed away at the age of 47, a young man. Um, I've gotten to know Dr. Wilburn really, really well over the last few years. Now, not through some <laughs> mysterious channeling or something of our thoughts, but I got a package a few years ago from a man in Gastonia, North Carolina that I'd never met, never heard of. Um, and in that package were 22 of Dr. Wilburn's uh, original manuscript sermons that he had preached in this very pulpit here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. And so over the past few years, I, I pull them out occasionally and, and read them, and they're, and they're fascinating. And they give you great insight, not just from the content of the sermon, but they give you great insight into what Dr. Wilburn was like and what kind of, of man that he was and those things that were important to him. My favorite sermon of his is called The Greatest Power in the World. It's a, it's a sermon about prayer. And so the remainder of this sermon today is either going to be uh, directly from his sermon or it's going to be a paraphrase of something he said in his sermon uh, with a little of my own uh, mixed in uh, here and there. But I think it's really neat, if you think about it, that a sermon that a former pastor of this church preached in 1950 would have relevance to what we're talking about today when we talk about Move Beyond. And, and it's really exciting to, to read his words and to share some of them with you and to see how we're always, always needing to move beyond. Dr. Wilburn starts his, his sermon this way. He says, One fact of my Christian experience towers above all others. As a small child, for reasons utterly beyond my comprehension, I began to practice prayer. As far as my knowledge goes, I was not taught to pray, but I did pray. Not once or twice a day, but literally hundreds of times a day, my mind turned to God in childlike prayer. I prayed when I crossed the stream on my way to school, when I passed the persimmon tree by the roadside, when the train whistle blew at 9.30 in the morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when I came to the end of the row while working in the cornfield, when a church bell rang, when I went to bed at night, and when my mother died. The consciousness of the nearness of God and the strength which flowed into my heart as a result of prayer led me into the Christian ministry and gave me all the assurance I would ever need to prove that God answers prayer. Through the years, this experience has given me a solid foundation upon which to plant my feet in success and failure, joy and sorrow, and in sickness and health. It has brought me to the inescapable conclusion that praying and living are one in the same experience. Charles Steinmetz, who was an electrical engineer, a pioneer in electrical engineering, said on his deathbed, he said, study prayer. It is the most important research of our time. Find out about prayer. Study and analyze the incredible power that is released in prayer. If you want to learn to pray, or if you want to move beyond wherever you are in your prayer life to a deeper and richer prayer life, 
There's some things that you can do. I mentioned that Jesus gave the model prayer here in Matthew. Uh, you can take that prayer and, and you can put some meat on that outline and, and you can make that the model for how you pray if you want to do that. But I would suggest that one of the best ways that we can learn how to pray or how to develop a prayer life is simply to look at the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus was the genius of all the ages in the art of prayer. If you really want to know how to pray, study Jesus' prayer habits. But what I want to do today is I want to suggest three convictions about, about prayer that I think are important for us to understand if we are really going to move beyond wherever we are in our prayer lives to something that's richer and deeper and greater. The first thing that we need to understand the first conviction is that prayer was never meant to take the place of work. Prayer was never meant as a substitute for hard work. And we have to move beyond the attitude that if God answers prayer, we can simply just sit by the wayside and, and let it happen. That's a fallacy that far too often we believe that we can just pray and do nothing and God will take care of things. There was an article, and this shows you how this idea of just praying and getting out of the way and hoping God comes through. It, it's been a fallacy for a long time. In fact, there was an article in a Christian magazine way back in the middle part of the last century. And the title of an article in this magazine, a Christian magazine, was How to Get a Million Dollars. And the guy that wrote the article... A guy with a DR in front of his name said that the way to do that was to sincerely get on your knees and pray that God would give you a million dollars and somehow God would find a way to do that. Well, not only is that nonsense, but it's also extremely selfish. It just doesn't happen that way. There was a family that was sitting around a dinner table and they were talking about how life must have been on their great-grandfather's farm way back in the day. Back in the day when they didn't have all the modern machinery and all the, the things that they have now uh, for farming. And they were going around the table discussing about how hard it must have been or how in the world did he make it during those times without all these conveniences. And, and they went around and, and each one just kind of expressed what they, they thought. Well, finally, the grandfather, the son of the great-grandfather, who was, was sitting there, listened to them all, and finally he spoke up and he said, look, he said, from the time we kids walked, we worked. And he said, we always had a family prayer to start out each day. And he said, I was a grown man before I knew that you could really end a prayer with Amen. He said, because all my dad's prayers at the beginning of the day ended with, amen, okay, boys, let's get to work. You see, when you pray, you need to stand ready to roll up your sleeves and go to work to help God answer those prayers. You see, our words are meaningless if we pray, as Jesus says in his model prayer, for his kingdom to come. Those words are meaningless if we're not willing to do our part in ushering in that kingdom. And when we pray that God's will be done, as Jesus also suggests in that prayer, that's meaningless as well. They're just meaningless words if we're not willing to get in there and do our part in seeing his will done in our lives and in the kingdom. And I think we'll know that we have moved beyond 
in our prayer lives when instead of praying, God, do this, we'll instead pray, God, I believe this is your will. Show me how I can help bring it about. The second conviction is that prayer is not trying to persuade God to do something he, is not willing to, he was not willing to do before. Prayer is not trying to persuade God to do something he was not willing to do before. The close of a worship service, a woman came up to the pastor and she said, Pastor, I need for you to pray with me. And he said, well, sure. And so they went into the prayer room that was off the sanctuary. And they got in there and, and the woman said, look, pastor, she said, I've been, I've been really thinking about this. She says, I think if I pray and if you pray, we can really talk God into doing this thing. That's just the way, not the way it happens. We do not pray to persuade God to do something. We do not pray to persuade God to change his mind and to do something that he was not already willing to do before. But what we do rather is we pray so that God might bring our wayward minds and our wayward wills and our wayward thoughts into harmony with his will. That's why we pray. You know, I, I said you need to study Jesus and Jesus' prayers. Jesus never prayed and told God what to do. He never did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. This was the night that he was arrested. He knew his death was imminent. And he prayed, and he ended his prayer with not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' prayers were avenues where he sought to understand God's will in his life and to find the strength and the power to do his will. His purpose in prayer was not to change God's mind or to try to make God do something that he was not willing to do before. You know, if we could stop telling God what to do and to seek God's will in a, in a spirit of humility, it would go a long way for us in, in moving beyond wherever we are in our lives. It would certainly help us to move beyond just meaningless words to a closer relationship and a better understanding of what God wants us to do in our lives. You see, God doesn't really need our prayers, but he wants our prayers because he knows that we need the prayers. And prayer develops a trust that says, I trust in God. I believe in you, Father. And I believe, Father, that you know what is best. There's a third conviction. And it's that prayer lets loose the power of God in our lives. You see, prayer rightly understood and used Let's lose the power of God into our lives that enables us to face victoriously whatever comes our way. Whatever the world throws at us, whatever our life brings us, prayer lets loose the power of God to face it. Dr. Wilburn said in 1950, think about this, 1950, he said, we live in a high-powered age. That's what he said in 1950. Well, but think about it, only five years after the atomic bomb, okay? He said, we live in a high-powered age, and we know that we must have power from on high to go on living at all. That was true in 1950, and it's certainly true today. 
that we need to have that power from on high if we're going to go on living at all. The power of prayer, the power of prayer that, that allows God to let loose his power in your soul is the only way that we can face what comes our way in life. It's also the only way that God can show us who we are for what we are and that we can be transformed. See, the the, the power of God is not just the power to show us the right way to go. It's not just the power to to protect us or to give us strength. But the power of prayer, that's how we came to know Christ. It It was prayer and it was through prayer that that power, that saving power of God came into our lives. And it sustains us and it's that same power that when we get to the end of this life, it's going to get us to spend an eternity with Christ. It's the power that flows through prayer, not just to give you what you need for now, but to also help you deal with your unrepentant heart and with your fear of death. That's the power that comes through prayer. Phillips Brooks said, do not pray for tasks equal to your prayers, but for powers equal to your task. Here's how Dr. Wilburn ended that sermon on prayer many years ago. He said, what are the problems that frustrate and defeat our lives? Is it misunderstanding and lack of harmony at home? Is it anxiety and fear in the face of a situation we do not know how to handle? Is it loneliness and sorrow because of the loss of a loved one? Is it a sense of inadequacy to meet the responsibilities of our daily work? Is it the heavy burden of a grudge that destroys the happiness of our days and turns our nights into nightmares? Or an unforgiven sin that makes us ashamed to look our friends in the face? Whatever our problems may be, let us lay it in the white light of God's presence in prayer and allow his love to heal us. We can never know the power and victory of God through prayer unless we pray. Reading books about prayer, even hundreds of them, is not enough. Discussing prayer with our friends will not satisfy our needs. Merely to believe that God hears our cries for help will not work the miracle of redemption. We must really pray. When we do, we see God high and lifted up. And we know as never before our own selfishness and sin. More than this, there flows into our hearts the power to make us what we could never become ourselves. Right at the end of Genesis, there's an interesting verse. Genesis chapter 4, rather. There's an interesting verse. If you think of what's happened between the creation of the world in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 4, a lot of terrible things have happened. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. One of Adam's and Eve's sons murders the other one. That's what happens. And, And when we get to... The end of, of chapter 4, God promises Adam and Eve that he will give them another son. And he does. 
And that son's name is Seth. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, here's what it says. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Enosh means man, and it comes from the Hebrew word, which means frail or weak. And it's a word that emphasizes how fragile and weak we are as human beings. And it's a remarkable thing that in connection with this verse, that in connection with the birth of someone named Enosh, that the people of the day would realize their own weakness and their own frailty. And that they would come to the point in their lives where they would call on the name of the Lord. Where they would lift him up in worship. Where they would proclaim his name. But also where they would come to him in prayer. Here's the question for today. Have you ever stood on that spot? Have you ever stood on that spot where you realized how frail and how weak you really are? But not only that but have come to discover the supreme discovery of the ages, that God is available through prayer. You see, if it was just enough for us to realize we're frail and weak, we have enough people to tell us that during any time during the day. We always find somebody that will tell us that we're worthless, that we're frail and we're weak. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about when it's talking about frail and weak is the idea that on our own, we are really helpless in the world. We are helpless to save ourselves. We are helpless to, to, to earn the salvation that God offers us. It's nothing we can earn. We, we are helpless in that. And when we face life and the things that life throws at us, we are indeed helpless unless we have a power that can help us face that. And so that's the question today is, have you ever come to that point in your life where you realize you are helpless to save yourself, you are helpless to get into heaven on your own, you are helpless to face whatever comes your way? If you've stood on that spot, it's wonderful that you can come to the realization that you are not alone, that you are not left to be by yourself on your own power but that God is available through prayer. Today, that's a starting point. That point where you come to that realization that that you are frail and weak and helpless on your own, that's a starting point. But you need to move beyond it. And see, here's the thing. I don't know if you pray or not. I, I, I really don't. Here's a question. And just don't answered out loud, but just think, did I pray yesterday? Just ask yourself, did you, did you pray yesterday? Kind of think through the day. Was there a time that you intentionally, I don't mean, Lord, thank you for letting me stop in time and not hit that car in front of me that stopped too soon, but did you really pray? Just think about that, because see, I really don't know. I don't know if you pray or not. I don't know how long you pray. I don't know what you pray for. I don't know if you pray at all. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to move beyond wherever you are. If you've become a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you've realized that God is available to prayer, here's what I want you to do. If if, if prayer is not an important thing in your life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to the next three weeks to pray at least five minutes a day. 
Now, that may sound kind of strange. Well, just five minutes? If you don't pray at all, that's huge. If you pray little scattered prayers that all together don't add up to five minutes, taking five minutes to be alone by yourself, alone with God in prayer, that's huge to spend five minutes a day. And you say, well, I, I just don't have five minutes a day. I have preachers that I'll hear sermons and they'll talk about Bible study and prayer. And, and they'll tell people, well, if you can't find time in your day, get up an hour early. Set your clock an hour early and get up. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe one person in the history of preaching has taken the pastor up on that. But you can do five minutes. Cut five minutes out of your lunch hour. Take five minutes to sit in your car and not get out when you get home and just pray. Set aside some time at night. Find five minutes where it's just you and God alone. Do that for three weeks and I guarantee you it will make a difference in your life and it will make a difference in the life of the church. It will because I believe that the power of God flows through prayer. So wherever you are, I want you to move beyond wherever you are or wherever you aren't <laughs> to five minutes a day. And who knows, then to 10, to 20, whatever. Power flows through prayer. And the only way you're going to know that is if you pray. I'm going to ask our band to come. And we're going to take some time here just before we sing again to, to go to God in prayer. And as we pray, I, I just want you to it might sound strange to pray about prayer, but that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at ourselves first and maybe just be honest with ourselves about our prayer life, about our relationship to God, and then we'll, we'll move to some other things. But let's go to God and pray.